America. Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. Good afternoon, my fellow Americans. Welcome back to America First. I'm your host, JWR. We have a few things to talk about today. Before we get into that, we have a weekly segment of Today in History. Today in History, in 1931... Al Capone is convicted of income tax evasion. Just imagine that. After all the stuff he was known for, tax evasion is what gets him. Just shows you that uh, government's going to get its money. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Nuts. Anyway, on to the... First... California's Attorney General announced his office is opening an investigation into the oil pipeline leak in Huntington Beach. During a press conference Monday, Bob, or, sorry, Rob Bonta discussed the probe into what caused the major crude oil spill. His announcement came as state and city officials reopened breaches, or beaches to surfers as well as swimmers after they have been closed for over a week due to the leak. Water quality tests reportedly showed no detectable levels of oil-associated toxins on the shoreline. Bonta said, depending on what the investigation turns up, uh, charges will be filed if the law was broken. He has confirmed oil company Amplify Energy is at the center of his investigation. The U.S. Coast Guard revealed the underwater pipeline which caused the oil spill off the coast of Southern California, was initially damaged several months ago. In a press conference on Friday, officials said the video evidence shows the pipeline was intact in October 2020, but since moved 150 feet. The investigation has so far revealed a ship's anchor dragged the pipeline, but it wasn't the only factor which contributed to the rupture. The oil spill created... An environmental disaster which threatened marine life and impacted coastal communities. Coast Guard officials said the investigation is still underway and will now focus on vessel movement about the pipeline over the past year. Last week, Coast Guard Captain Rebecca Orr confirmed about 4,000 feet of pipeline located off the coast was somehow moved. She added they also spotted a split in the line at the Ben's Peak. Meanwhile, Amplify Energy President Martin Wilshire said it's rare for a pipeline to move the way it did. He asserted that he will not speculate about the cause, but will wait for a full investigation to determine the factors. More than 140,000 gallons of oil spilled out of the pipeline since the rupture was first discovered. The spill caused serious ecological impact and a major disaster declaration was requested for Orange County. Officials said cleaning up the spill was considered a high priority. Some people are also still questioning whether Amplify Energy was aware of the problem before reporting it to the public. Uh, federal and state laws require immediate notification of spills and pipeline safety regulators reported the time of the incident at 2.30 a.m. on Saturday, even though the pipeline wasn't shut off until around 6 a.m. that same day. Meanwhile, California Congressman is now pushing to preserve natural resources following the massive oil spill. Representative Mike Levin surveyed the damage on Monday. He said it's inconceivable to keep drilling off the California coast considering it doesn't make up that much oil for the country as a whole. The lawmaker also said there are only 23 active oil rigs in a 200-mile span. 
Levine reiterated his he has authorized or authored sorry legislation which would end all new offshore oil drilling of California's coast. Next, drug makers are seeking FDA authorization for the first oral antiviral medicine for treating COVID-19. Merck and Ridgeback Biotherapeutics announced Monday that they submitted an application with the agency for emergency use authorization of Molnupiravir, M-O-L-N-U-P-I-R-A-V-I-R, however you say that. The experimental medication originally show, or developed for treating influenza is now demonstrating results in mid in mild to moderate uh, COVID-19 cases in at-risk adults. Clinical trials of the pill found that it reduced the risk of hospitalization or death by approximately 50%. A pretty big number. The medication is administered as four pills taken twice a day for five days. The drug could be made available to Americans by late this year and would be the first authorized oral antiviral medicine for the treatment of COVID-19. The biotechnology biotechnology company's focus revolves around emerging infectious disease. Uh, It's known to market a treatment for Ebola. The team at Merck and Ridgeback Biotherapeutics Noted, they are dedicated to working toward finding life-saving and life-changing solutions for patients and diseases that need champions. More news on that front. Pharmaceutical giant Moderna has refused to disclose the formula of its coronavirus vaccine. According to Moderna chairman, the company would keep the vaccine formula private in order to support its own production of the vaccine. The official added, Moderna had no plans to share the vaccine formula with anyone moving forward. Earlier this month, Sweden, Denmark, and Finland banned the use of the Moderna vaccine for young individuals due to risks of deadly heart inflammation. The company has downplayed reports of such risks. Moderna chairman, uh, (laughs) N-O-U-B-A-R-A-F, E-Y-A-N is his name. I, I'm not going to attempt it. A new bar, something, I don't know. Went on to say, while I think the people, the, sorry, while I think that people say, well, the IP is not enough, you should put more, etc. between our uh, scaled up production our ability to execute rapidly and full scale and making our IP available from a patient infringe, uh, from a patent infringement standpoint, we think we are doing everything we can to help this pandemic. The debate of vaccine formulas comes after Project uh, Veritas reported of alleged use of aborted fetus cells in the Pfizer vaccine. Meanwhile, Moderna had admitted the COVID-19 vaccine was its only commercial product. And our last little bit of COVID news. Citizens of New Hampshire have continued to protest vaccine mandates, which has led to the state's executive council rejecting federal funding for vaccines. On Wednesday, scores of protesters took to the executive council meeting ahead of its vote on the $27 million federal contract. A vaccine mandate 
was included as part of that contract. However, council members voted no, making New Hampshire the first state to reject federal funds to push vaccination. I've already voted against it once, stated Joe Kenny of New Hampshire, executive counselor. Again, my concern is the central vaccine registration mandates in the contract, and I don't want to see the Biden administration dictate to New Hampshire what it should do and what it shouldn't do. The council's decision was reportedly influenced by the activist group Rebuild New Hampshire that has held demonstrations against vaccine mandates for the past few weeks. If you want to see more on what they've said and what's going on there, on Twitter, you can look up Adam Sexton uh, at Adam Sexton WMUR. They're ta- he's talking about it. Uh, but we'll keep you up to date with more mandate stuff. But on to the next. An investigation has been underway after two Georgia election workers were fired for allegedly shredding voter registration applications. According to to a statement, on Monday, two employees of the Fulton County Elections Office checked out batches of applications for processing and shredded nearly 300 forms. Georgia Secretary of State Brad uh, Raffensperger has called on the Department of Justice to investigate that matter. This comes as election operations in Fulton County have been under review by the state Raffensburg Perger, sorry, R-A-F-F-E-N-S-P-E-R-G-R-E-R, Raffensperger, I guess, I don't know, has called for stronger management over the county's uh, elections by backing a new election law requiring new leadership. Raffensperger went on to say Fulton County elections have experienced documented failures for decades and Georgians were tired of the embarrassing revelations. Next, some petito news. Uh, A Wyoming coroner released the autopsy results regarding Gabby Petito's cause of death. Tenton County Coroner Brent Blue made the announcement uh, Tuesday noting her cause of death was manual strangulation. This means it was done not with a ligature, but most likely with someone's hands. Uh, This also means there could potentially be latent DNA that could help lead investigators to a suspect. The coroner said officials came to that consensus after a full-body CAT scan and evaluations by pathologists anthropologist and toxicologist additionally he estimates the strangulation took place three to four weeks before her body was found meanwhile blue said gabby's family may soon be able to put her to rest he confirmed that her remains have been returned to the uh, mortuary where her family can make plans the autopsy report came several weeks after investigators found her remains at Wyoming's Grand Tenton National Park in, in September. Her fiancé, Brian Laundrie, remains the number one person of interest in the case. His whereabouts are still unknown. Crews are still searching in Florida's Carlton Nature Reserve for Laundrie, who is wanted on bank fraud charges. The Laundrie family is facing immense scrutiny by the public after claims surfaced that they may know more about their missing son's whereabouts than they're letting on. 
According to the family's lawyer, Stephen Bert Bertolino Bert Bertolino Laundry's father will be uh will be assisting authorities in the massive manhunt to find his son after a request by law enforcement. Bertolino said Laundry's parents spent hours searching for their son on September thirteenth. Four days before he was reported missing, his parents still believe he's somewhere in Sarcosa or Sarasota, Sarasota, sorry, County, Florida. The sister of the fugitive, Cassie Laundrie, said she's unsure if her parents are involved with the disappearance of her brother. Protesters appeared outside her home in recent weeks, where she then revealed her frustrations in regards to the case. Cassie said she still remains unsure if her parents helped Laundrie escape authorities. However, she did confirm he blew home, or he flew home, just messing up all over the place. He flew home to Florida on or before August 17th. Cassie also said she and her husband have cooperated with the FBI in the matter. Her remarks came after a Florida, Florida man claimed there was no doubt in his mind that he had spoken with the fiancé of Petito. According to reports, 53-year-old Dennis Davis said he encountered the man believed to be laundry on a deserted road near the Appalachian Trail in North Carolina. Davis said the lost and dazed man rambled about a fight with his girlfriend, then asked for directions to California using only back roads. The attorney for the laundry family Confirmed the suspect and his parents went camping together nearly a week after he returned home without Petito. A public records request revealed Laundry's mother checked in at Fort DeSoto Park in early September, which lies about 75 miles from the family's home in Northport, Florida. While the search for Laundry continues, Petito's family created the Gabby Petito Foundation in her memory. Donations can be made through their webpage. Petito's Father Joseph Petito said they wanted his daughter's name to be remembered for something positive and not just for this tragedy. He said, noted, we can't let her name be taken in vain. Authorities are now offering up a $30,000, uh, offering up to $30,000 in rewards for tips on Laundry's whereabouts as the search continues. Laundry is the only person of interest in Petito's murder. Next, the Republican Party has flipped the seat in the Iowa House of Representatives that has held that was held by Democrats for the past 46 years. In a special election Tuesday, GOP candidate John Dunwell defeated Democrat Steve Mullen in Iowa's 29th district by getting almost 60% of the vote. This is the second legislative victory for the Republican Party this year after Republican Mike uh, Basilet Basilot won a House seat in September. The GOP will now widen its ma uh, majority in the Iowa House to 60-40 after Dunwell's victory. Party officials have praised this development. Iowa voters say Dunwell's victory reflects a broader trend of Americans walking away from the Democrat Party. Next. The union representing film and television crews have threatened to initiate a nationwide strike unless a new workers' agreement is reached with Hollywood producers. 60,000 
behind the scenes workers, including camera operators, makeup artists, and studio uh, mechanics, are threatening to go on strike unless a new contract with improved working conditions is met with Hollywood producers. President of the International Alliance of Theatrical Stage Employees, Matthew Loeb, announced Wednesday the union would strike it against major studios on October 18th if the proposed requests weren't met, which could uh, cause a huge delay in television production and the U.S. union members have de- uh, demanded more practical working conditions, including reasonable uh, rest periods, meal breaks, and pay increases. The IATSE has been negotiating with the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers for months for improved benefits, safer working conditions, and at least 10-hour turnaround between shifts for all workers. In the statement, Loeb said, Without an end date, we could keep talking forever. Our members deserve to have their basic needs addressed now. With less than a week left to reach a deal, which is tomorrow, is when they is the 18th so uh union workers have continued to bargain with the producer union in order to have their demands met including a 54-hour turnaround on weekends which is one of the core issues addressed by off-screen workers we're fighting for weekends as i said earlier said elizabeth uh, Schuler, president of afl cio it's 2021, and yet these people are working overtime and, you know, answering the call. And yet the companies now, who are making pretty tidy profits, suddenly can't pay overtime. And suddenly you can't have a meal break. And you're ending your shift on a Friday night and are being called back on a Saturday morning with less than eight hours of time in between. More than 98% of members from the union are on board with the strike and hope to end contracts that provide unlivable wages, especially those for streaming platforms like Netflix, Disney+, Apple TV+, and Amazon Video, who are allowed allowed to pay even less under previous agreements, which allowed them more flexibility when they were up and coming. The AMPTP said studios are working hard to negotiate a deal, to keep the industry alive, especially one that has provided an at-home entertainment escape for millions of people working remotely during the COVID-19 pandemic. We talked about, you know, snacks getting us through the pandemic. Film and television has been a baseline for most people, and these are the people that actually make it make that content happen. So we will stand with them in solidarity, Schuler said. We will use the full breadth of and power of the labor movement to make sure that these companies are feeling the pain. The work stoppage will begin at 12.01 a.m. on Monday unless an agreement is reached making this the first nationwide strike in the 128-year history of the IATSE. So, might be... Uh, those episodes and new seasons might be a little late, so. Me, I started watching old stuff, but, you know, if you're keeping up to date with stuff, it's gonna, that's probably gonna affect that. So, here's hoping they find an agreement. And, 
us here will make sure to keep you up to date. Hello, my fellow Americans. It's me, JWR, just chiming in to tell you about our new merch line. If you go to redbubble.com and look up America First Podcast, you'll find multiple items with our logo on it. Any and all purchases will go to bettering the podcast and to some charities. But uh, yeah, just check it out. We got shirts, bags, stickers, pins, cups. But uh, anyway, again, this has been JWR from America First. And thanks for tuning in. And thank you for your support. Next, President Joe Biden said the Port of Los Angeles would open 24-7 to help fix supply chain issues. Speaking from the White House on Wednesday, Biden said industry leaders like Walmart, UPS, and FedEx also agreed to expanded hours in order to address supply chain bottlenecks ahead of the Christmas season. Biden said he hopes these changes will clear cargo off the docks and move cargo ships to and from their destinations faster. He also used the crisis to push his infrastructure plan, saying it's important to focus on the future and not just current issues like COVID-19 and staffing uh, shortages. In order to be globally competitive, we need to improve our capacity to make things here in America while also moving finished products across the country and around the world, stressed Biden. We need to think big and bold. Critics slam Biden for again not taking questions after his speech and calling his port envoy by the wrong name twice while praising his work. Meanwhile, the Biden administration has failed in taking responsibility for supply chain disruptions amid expectations of goods shortages during the Christmas shopping season. On Wednesday, Press Secretary Jen Psaki told reporters the White House was working to reduce delivery delays and supply bottlenecks, this despite some 60 cargo ships still anchored off the port of Los Angeles, forcing the offloading process to resort to a standstill. We cannot guarantee what we can do is use entry level at the federal government disposal to reduce delays to ensure that we are addressing bottlenecks in the system, including ports and the need for them to be open longer hours so that goods can arrive and we continue to press not only workers and unions, but also companies, said Saki. Economists said supply bottlenecks are likely to persist for at least six months, and it could last until early 2023. So if you're expecting, you know, something, and it ends up late, well, now you know why. And uh, we will keep you up to date on how that goes. Hopefully they can get it cleared up. Next. Oh, President Joe Biden approved legislation raising the debt ceiling until early December. He signed the measure Thursday ahead of the October 18 deadline to avoid defaulting on the debt limit. The bill raise, raises the debt limit by $480 billion, but lawmakers now face a December 3rd deadline to once again increase the limit. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell has asserted Republicans will not help Democrats raise the debt ceiling again, meaning that they have to use budget reconciliation to pass an increase. Uh, to pass an increase, 
This came after Democrats used their slim majority to pass the bill. The House of Representatives passed a package of bills in a 219-206 to vote on Tuesday, one of which made this happen. The law raises the debt limit by $480 billion, which the Treasury Department said is enough to let the federal government pay its bills through December 3rd. Top Democrats in the House tried to le uh, lecture Republican lawmakers for their, new, for their near universal opposition uh, to the bill. However, GOP lawmakers decried Democrats for their support for the bill while condemning their while condemning other provisions that had nothing to do with the state of the U.S. debt. Other Republicans added, passing the bill will only add to the already massive debt already occurred. Prior to Biden's signature, the, le uh, the legislation was sent down from the, upper chain, from the upper chamber, where 11 GOP senators voted alongside Democrats to avoid uh, economic catastrophe. Lawmakers in both chambers will be taking a break from Capitol Hill through the rest of the week amid Congress's October recess, but will pick uh, but will pick back up where they left off when they return next week. And finally, some news apart from political. NASA scientists discuss their latest mission of launching a spacecraft to explore to explore asteroids in our solar system. On Thursday, officials said they are targeting to launch the vessel for its 12-year mission this coming weekend. NASA's Lucy spacecraft will travel nearly 4 billion miles as it sets out to explore and even, and even destroy swarms of asteroids in Jupiter's orbit. Researchers said the spacecraft gets to fly closely near these objects, allowing them to be able to, be, uh, to see what the asteroids really look like. We're going to study the geology surface, composition, bulk properties, and we're going to search for satellites around these objects, explained Kathy Olkin of the Southwestern Research Institute. I'll give you a flavor. Uh, I'll give you a flavor for some of our science investigations. One of them is to map the craters across our surfaces, the surface of the Trojan asteroids. We're going to look for craters smaller than a football field. According to scientists, this mission is an outstanding opportunity and may unlock vital clues into the history of our solar system. So, we'll definitely be looking into that and keeping you up on that. But, that's all we have for this week. Thank you for listening in on today's episode. Be sure to check out previous episodes to stay up to date and follow us on Twitter at capital S, lowercase c-m-b-a-g, capital N. Any and all profits, including sponsor revenue and viewer-donated revenue, will be donated to the Series Fund Network for Disabled Kids. So if you decide to donate to us, you know where your money is going. Uh, also, I don't know if you've noticed, there are questionnaires now with each episode to see, you know, have you guys just let us know how we're doing. So don't be afraid, you know. Preferably constructive criticism. But until the next time, America, I've been your host, JWR. And remember, stay informed, stay involved, and keep America first. <laughs>